Hey friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Today is an exciting episode because it's our first guest interview with my wellness coach, Jonathan Angelili. He is a recovered addict. He's been sober for 20 years. Um, he's also competed in American Ninja Warrior, and he just has a very interesting story. And I think that you'll find it very inspiring to just hear how he went from being a teenager and being addicted to marijuana and then into and then a pills um, and just how he went from you know this devastating addiction to spiritual surrender, radical responsibility, and just using his pain as a catalyst for personal and spiritual growth. I think you're going to be really inspired by this episode. Um, and you you might even learn some things about why you're using substances or why you're using alcohol. Um, I think it could be really enlightening for you. So keep listening, friend. Hey friend, welcome to Beyond the Booze. I'm your host, Victoria Plummer, daughter of the most high, wife, boy mom, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. I know that you are sick of wallowing in shame after another night of binge drinking. I know that you want to quit, but you can't imagine a life without alcohol. My mission is to set you free from the lies, fears, and habits that are keeping you stuck in a toxic relationship with alcohol. In this podcast, you'll learn about spiritual growth, personal development, healthy lifestyle habits, and recovery education so that you can start living a life you love. If you're ready to take your power back, grow in your faith, and live a more purposeful life, you are in the right place. Whip up your favorite mocktail. Let's do this. Hey friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Today is a super exciting day because we have our first guest interview with my wellness coach, Jonathan. Jonathan is a father, a strength and recovery coach, and a two-time American ninja warrior. He's passionate about serving mothers and empowering them to use movement to reclaim their body and life. Welcome to the show. I'm so grateful to have you on. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. <laughs> well, I, I did want to just kind of give you your flowers and thank you personally. Um, I've been a part of your Breathe, Move, Nourish program, which of course I want you to share about at the end. But I honestly was not looking to get into a wellness program at all. I didn't think I needed one. Um, but Working with you has literally, I, I told one of my friends about this, who I believe had a discovery call with you as well, because I just, you know, when I find something good, I have to share it with everyone. <laughs> yeah. But I, I told her it was like, literally like CPR, like, which it's kind of funny because one of your main components of the program is breathing, you know, and literally like my whole life this past year has been very challenging, as you know. Um, and even the past couple months have been incredibly challenging as well. And just going to the practices that you've, you know, shared with us, um, has literally, it literally feels like I was given CPR, like, <laughs> like mouth to mouth, like breathing <laughs> life back into me. 
And so I just want to say thank you for that. You are so very welcome. <laughs> and you clearly have um, understood the, the deeper aspect of, of what I offer. It, it really is about movement to sustain life and what is more fundamental to life than breath. Absolutely. I, it, it, yeah, I would have never thought about that before, but it, and it's so fundamental. Um, but I did want to just kind of share with the audience, like a little bit about how I found you. Um, because I found you one night when I was looking through, I was like researching on the internet, how to quit weed. And, you know, my audience knows that I, um, you know, been sober from alcohol for three years, but, you know, quitting marijuana has been a challenge. Um, but yeah, so I found your blog, I read it, I was like, wow, this is really awesome. And then I found you on Instagram, I started following you on there. And then we just kind of started chatting through the DMs. And yeah, like I said, I wasn't even looking for a wellness coach or any sort of, you know, coach. And it just, it just feels like it was all just spirit led and just divine. And it, it just has felt right. <laughs> So that's been really cool. That blog post is a blog post. It's called How to Use Exercise to Quit Smoking Pot, if anyone wants to look it up. And it's a blog post that I'm very proud of. I wrote it, excuse me, I wrote it many years ago. And it's still, when I reread it occasionally, it still rings true. I really poured my heart and soul into it. And I've had um, more than any other piece of writing. I've had other pieces of writing go much more viral. Um, but more than any other piece of writing, that's the one that I've gotten the most heartfelt comments and replies. Um, so it's a, it's a piece of writing I'm really proud of. And uh, I'm so glad that you read it. Me too. And it, it's, I've, I actually mentioned it in my last podcast and I um, linked it there, but I'll definitely link it in the show notes for other people who are interested in hearing about how to use exercise to quit smoking pot. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely want to hand you over the mic and just let you share a little bit about your story um, and just, you know, your upbringing, what led you to using substances, like what substances you were using and, you know, why you stopped, what recovery has been like for you. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to mute myself and let you, let you share. I can't wait to hear your story. Awesome. Yeah, so I grew up in a kind of middle class neighborhood in Queens, New York City in the 1980s. Um, I was born in 1980. And so, you know, we were talking about hip hop. Hip hop for us wasn't, you know, just music. It was like a religion back then for us. Like it, we, we, we believed in it so much. We loved the music and me and all my friends were into um you know, graffiti and, and, and freestyling. And, um, you know, I had a very privileged upbringing. I went to a private school, um, but there was this fundamental disconnect um, that I traced back to my usage because my, my usage of substances really was, as I see now, I didn't realize at the time, was a way for me to try and regulate myself, um, to feel better in my body, to feel a sense of control, and so, yeah, I'm the only son with um, three sisters. So I was always kind of the black sheep. Um, I'm very proud of it now. I can connect to women 
in a way that is very special and um and I'm very in touch with my feminine side but I back then it felt like torture like I just felt different than anyone everyone else all the other boys made fun of me or thought I was gay and I was you know teased and bullied a lot I was very very athletic um but I did not like being in school I I needed to move my body I'm really a mover I mean everyone is to some degree but I really really always identify that's when I felt but the most alive was doing sports and um even more so than sports just being outdoors in the free time I would be climbing up the trees I would I had so many memories of you know just going on adventures outside and they're like some of the most important like when I think back of my personal mythology and my life as a story there there are those moments outdoors in nature even before I was seven that I just feel so important where I felt like the presence of the creator and 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 really like this this is what life is like not what happens in the classroom and what I'm being told by other people and you know it's really that direct connection so um I lost that connection in high school when I started using you know and again it was it was you know it's very difficult to be I started early I started smoking pot I was like 15 years old and um it was really, I realized now, a way for me to regulate my neurology. I have ADHD. I have dyslexia. I was diagnosed with chronic depression when I was young. Um, and it was a way for me to try and feel better because all of that collided with like this world. I was very kind of um, someone who really, really likes, like uh, there's a sense of purity that like I really aspire to. And then seeing how the world was so messed up and there were not a lot of people that I looked up to that I felt like really embodied the kind of wisdom and integrity that I wanted to live in my life. And my reaction to that was anger. And, I, and so smoking pot allowed me to uh, regulate my anger and my ADHD and focus a lot. And, you know, if I'm really honest, <clears throat> it brought a lot of beauty into my life. And I, I do think when we talk about advice for other people, you know, it's always good to think about in what ways are you benefiting from your usage to be really honest about that? Because it's often, or probably almost always in very fundamental essential needs that are being met through the usage. Um, and being honest about that was like one of my steps towards recovery. So I started with pot and then I got into psychedelics and that was very interesting because it started to lead into bigger picture questions about who I, who am I, why am I here? And, um, and then I got into more like narcotic type stuff. And that was really scary and dangerous. And I was going to nightclubs like in New York City and dancing my my face off until, you know, five, six, seven in the morning. Um, and it was scary. It was a scary rite of passage. And my guardian angels were working overtime. And I was um, I was able to rescue myself. And the way that I did it was was different than a lot of the other stories that I hear. It wasn't through um, AA or, or any other kind of 12 step protocol. It was, um, it was more what I would call spiritual surrender. Um, and it's, uh, it's something I think about a lot and something I've meditated on and talked about quite a bit, but it's, um, yeah, I just had this moment in the mirror, you know, after years of really struggling and, and not liking who I'd become and having a lot of pain and anxiety and guilt and out of control and getting into fights and, you know, being totally awkward with, with girls like 
loving girls and having like no ability to connect with them because they all, you know, I was, I was a girl at heart in many ways. And, and they just immediately put me in the, in the friends category, you know? And so there was a lot of suffering, a lot of like, man, I know there's so much potential inside of me and it's not even peeking out yet, you know? And um, I had this moment of spiritual surrender in the mirror where I, I, I totally owned my suffering. I didn't feel like a victim of anything. It was this moment I had looked in the mirror many times and said, today was going to be different. I'm going to stop using, I'm going to kind of like pull myself up. And, but every time I had that self-talk, there was some other part of me that would snicker or would laugh or wouldn't believe it. Or, you know, I it was a fractured kind of commandment to myself. Um, but then one day, you know, I had this experience in nature. And then I had this experience in the mirror where I looked in the mirror and I said, you know, I'm not a victim. I'm doing this to myself. And if I'm doing this to myself, one, there must be a reason. And two, I can do something about it. And I don't, I have no idea what that is. I don't know what it is to rescue myself. I just know that the answer's inside of me and I can find that. And, and that was my moment. That was my rock bottom. That was my, and when I said that, there was no part of me that was snickering or was separate from that wish. I wished, I prayed with my whole heart, with my whole being. And there was no epiphany. There was no like, okay. And then like, I felt good and motivated and like, like a movie or something. It wasn't that at all. It was just this deep personal self-reckoning that, um, was the change that that became the bedrock for everything else that followed after that. So I don't know, maybe you have some questions. I can keep talking. I love talking. So. <laughs> you're very good at it and you're a great writer as well. But um, yeah, you know, that you mentioned the, the suffering and I just like, I kind of wanted to pick at that a little bit because the first time I heard you say it, I didn't quite understand it, you know, until I realized to me, I was kind of like, oh, you know, suffering could, or like, yeah, suffering could be like that lack of connection with others, you know, and that's like where you're using, you know, substances to feel connected, you know, and sure. Um, I don't know. Could you share a little bit more about that, about like, about just like what that that suffering, what you, what you mean by that or, or examples of it even. Yeah. I mean, it was a feeling of being out of control in a scary way um, and hurting people that I cared about seeing like through the mirror of my parents, how it was hurting them, my mm -hmm. behavior. Um, and there was a lot of like moments where like I took risks with my physical body where afterwards I was like, Oh my God, you know? And, and it's it's pretty disturbing and and unnerving, and um, yeah, there was just this general, you know, I was I was trying to self medicate to self regulate through different substances, and so whatever was you know the, on the surface, there was something underneath that, right? Like I was trying to treat the symptoms as best I could and and kind of calm myself down and be more focused. And it did bring that social connection, but with or without the drugs underneath that was anger that I had been inherited, you know, from childhood. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
social awkwardness and, you know, feeling more identified with women and not like, I don't, I don't fit into one of these clean categories that everyone else kind of fits into. And everyone treats me differently for that. And I, and there was a lot of, you know, I, even though I went to a wonderful private school, I was picked on a lot, you know, because older boys, I was, I loved kids. Like I, I was pretty, I feel like respected in my grade because I was kind to everyone, but the older kids who I didn't get to interact with, except on the sports field, I was often better than them, you know, even though they were older than me and they hated that. And I also wasn't, you know, submissive, even though I was very identified with my feminine energy. So they hated that too. So I got spit on, I got like bullied, you know, and, and, and there was, there was some trauma there, you know, that really never was fully healed and wasn't acknowledged by the school in the right way. I mean, they did the best they could, but it really, I didn't feel safe, you know? And when you don't feel safe in your body, you, you try to find some way to get control. So I think for me, the biggest things with suffering was, and it didn't have to do with my drug usage. That's what I was trying to, to balance, to self-regulate was for me, it was a feeling of lack of safety, of trauma and of um, anger that, I, you know, based off of those things and feeling like, and I, I'm just realizing it now as I talk about it, my daughter also has a strong sense of justice. And for me, like seeing injustice, whether it was to me or someone else was, was always something that just like every fiber of my being would just chafe at it, you know, and, and, and it got me into trouble more than once because I just couldn't keep my mouth shut, you know? And, and so, you know, that's kind of the, un, for me, that excavation of suffering is like happening after the fact that I healed it. But I, I do think that recognizing my role in creating and recreating the suffering and kind of regurgitating it and like wallowing in it and fighting against it, you know, that moment of in the mirror of being honest about kind of that, that I was playing a role, a very, very active role, the most important role, the most crucial role in it all was the beginning of, of my salvation. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, it just makes me think of like, yeah, like personal responsibility and realizing like, yeah, I'm not a victim. I have a choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How old were you when, so you said you started when you were like 15, how old were you? Like when you got to kind of like that spiritual surrender moment? That or key moment know? happened. I was, I was almost 19. Yeah. So okay. I kind of, I went through everything. I'm drawn to intense experiences. So it was a very intense four years. And then I think what's different about my story than a lot of other people's is that, you know, your body, this life, every breath is a gift from the creator. And, you know, my commitment to healing my addiction continues today. And it's not that like, and like in a lot of 12 steps, they say, well, once an addict, always an addict. I, I don't feel that as like some broad category that I placed myself in. It's just being honest about my addictive tendencies and how, okay, yeah, I'm not like shooting up or, or, you know, like abusing alcohol, but I still have addictive tendencies. Right. And so I'm just, I'm still in that process of healing myself, if I'm very honest, but I haven't like, I can be, and you know, of all the different things I did, smoking pot was the hardest thing for me to quit. It really, really was. 
Um, and there's a real strong link between pot usage and ADHD, which now I'm like realizing many years later that like the science is really just coming out about it in the last two to five years. Um, but all that just to say, yeah, you know, I was, I was, um, I was trying to heal myself and feel better and it wasn't a good way to do it. And I found other ways to get similar feelings that don't have the collateral damage. They actually have collateral benefits. And um, yeah, so for me, I kind of started early, you know, by, by, by 19, I was by what most people would define clean, but I would still every once in a while over drink and I would still every once in a while smoke pot, but it was, it was, I had a different relationship with it. And I wouldn't say that I was like really, really clean and on a great path until I really started working out regularly. And that, that was my, my one, you know, for me, I boil it down to three things, which is nature connection meditation and and movement or exercise were really the three things that allowed me to dig myself out of that hole but i don't think i really fully dug myself out of it until i was in my mid-20s and then i injured my neck and realized oh i'm addicted to working out and the identity i have around that so i kind of dug myself out of this horrible hole and kind of dug into another one that wasn't as bad but still was going to always be a hole and hold me back from like rising up and owning my power and putting my message out there in the way that only I can living the life that I'm meant to live. So, you know, when I, when I think about sobriety and I, I really think of it in these terms of peeling away these layers of these onions, and that's not to overwhelm anyone that's like, you know, man, forget all that. I just need to fix this one problem. Like I, I get that. And like, I totally respect that. And you can totally put one thing front and center and commit to that. Um, but for me, as someone who's dyslexic, one of our superpowers as, as a dyslexic person is you, you're, we're always thinking of the macro, the big picture, how all these different pieces work together. Um, and it's, it's, it's a challenge when you only think like that, which I often default to, but it's also a real superpower to see kind of how all these things work together. It's kind of cool just how you use like dyslexia as a superpower, you know, and work with it instead of like against it. I mean, and that's that's basically the path to sobriety is work, work with what you got instead of fighting against yourself. Right. What you've got might not be what you want or what your neighbor has or what you wish you had or even what you used to have. But if you really focus on what you do have and you're honest about it, you realize that you've been given a lot and you can celebrate that. And when you celebrate what you have miraculously somehow it just it seems to expand it seems to take up more space in your life in your in your health in your mind 100 percent, yeah like you said what you focus on grows <laughs> that's right um so you became a trainer ar around like 20 or how old were you when you 19, became like a fitness 19 years old <laughs> okay okay and and then so, I mean, obviously I, I mentioned that you are a two-time American Ninja Warrior. Like what is the, what has been like your fitness path and like what got you, what made you become a trainer? And then, you know, what's led you up to, you know, yeah, American Ninja Warrior. Yeah. So, you know, in my twenties, I started working out really because I just wanted to be more confident approaching women and girls. And so that was huge for me. And, and the lesson in that, you know, there's no shame in it, you know, is uh, to be honest about what, what those kind of basic needs are, right? For connection and for recognition. Um, 
from other people, right? That's like a basic human need that we all have. And so I started working out a lot. Um, and, and mainly it was because this one girl I was in love with, who one day I was at the gym and I heard the name of the guy that she was really into. And he was jacked. And I was like, oh my God, like... And so I start, and so it was such a funny moment where I felt so much pain and sadness and not enough in that moment of really like, oh, that's what she's into. But then like, it also became the catalyst, that pain. And so it was also another trap because I, I you know, I'm an ectomorph through and through. I, I'm like very athletic, but I'm like small bones and long and lean and built more for endurance, endurance and, um, you know, so I started strength training and really getting into bodybuilding for her, but it really turned out to be for me because, oh my God, I mean, I just, I became a different person. I had more self-control. I had more confidence. I didn't have this feeling of like always saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, like being such a mess up, you know, being such a screw up all the time. Like, and it really became an addiction in a way, because I just, I love that feeling of empowerment. Um, and then unfortunately, because I overdid it, I, I tore my labrum and my shoulder and then I hurt my neck um, snowboarding. I was, you know, I was really into snowboarding and I was doing like flips and things on the rails in the park and in Vermont. And, and then I couldn't work out when I hurt my neck and then, and working out had been my medicine. It, I mean, it was literally how I started to self-regulate. And of course, that's much better than chronic pot usage, but it still was a crutch in a way, the way that I was using it. And then that was taken away from me. So my identity of who I thought I was, like this high-end young trainer working at like the coolest, sexiest gym in New York City, like that was a lot for me to handle. And But I knew from my wrestling with addiction that the worst cards you're dealt in life, the most poison are the moments, the things that have the most power to transform. And so since I had had that experience of turning the poison into the medicine with my addiction, I did the same thing with my injury. And I said, I don't know why this happened. In my heart, I can feel surgery is not the right choice for me. It may be for other people, but I could just feel it wasn't the right choice. How do I own this? How do I use this? What, what is my body telling me? What is the opportunity here? And it wasn't like a quick, like, oh, I Googled it on the internet and figured it out. Like it was like a good 18 months of struggling with that question. And I re-injured my neck, drying my head off with a towel one day coming out of the shower. I mean, it was like humbling, like really, really, really. And I'm so glad all of that happened. I'm I'm so grateful for those most miserable moments because I found the courage to really experience them, sit with them, listen to them, accept them as gifts and mine them for whatever I could to build myself back up in a way that was more true to who I actually am in my heart and not who I, you know, I I've used exercise as a, as a prop and, and, you know, it's not like that for everyone, but I'm a man of extremes. So for me, I tend to kind of take things and really go, all out, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an intense dude. So yeah. So from there, I, that's when I got into energy medicine and Qigong. And so instead, all my friends that were in bo into bodybuilding then are still into bodybuilding, but I went on this whole other path. You know, I empowered myself through bodybuilding, but then I hurt myself through it. So 
Then I learned about Tai Chi and Qigong and yoga and meditation. I had already been doing, but I, I dived into it even more. And I got into stair racing and I did the Empire State Building race seven times, which at the time was the most competitive tower race on the planet. It was very difficult even to let them, you know, let them get to get into that race. And it was, it was intense, you know, like, again, like I, I know a thing or two about intensity. I like, you know, I, like right now, so much of my training is about softness and sensual and helping people breathe and move their body because it's so missing. It's so needed. It's so fundamental to who we are as human beings. But I have that other side, which is like, you know, I would train for the Empire State Building race and that those six weeks leading up to that race were brutal. Like I was just tired all the time. I would sneak into the Empire State Building and practice on those stairs and memorize the stairwell and, and plan my pattern for how to use the railing and my breath work. And, and then I would go to the Russian baths in the East Village and do cold plunges to help my body recover. Because even back then there was a clear signal, you know, this is like 2003, that, you know, cold is so amazing for recovery. And it was brutal. It was intense. And like, it, it, I guess it had prepared for me, for me to be a parent during the pandemic, because it really felt like, you know, my nervous system was shot all the time. And I was, you know, and I got to the point where I, I did that race, my, my one year I was able to, I took 13th place, which is, is up there with competing on American Ninja Warrior as far as proud achievements. I mean, I, I, I could get to the observation deck of the Empire State Building in about 13 minutes, you know, and it's, it's how many, it's, you know, 82 floors, you know, it's, which is some, some, it's sometimes it's one flight per floor. Sometimes it's two flights per floors, but it's a thousand feet up in the sky and, or 1150, something like that. And, uh, you know, and I would, I had blood in my mouth, you know, and I, I, I was just, it was, so all that just to say that, you know, that wasn't, the right path for me either. But I learned a lot about myself through that too. And I, I only got into stair racing because it was the one thing that I could do that wouldn't trigger my neck pain, you know? So again, it was like, I dig a different hole in a different direction. <laughs> um, and I learned a lot about myself through that. And I developed my spirit in a different way. Um, and, but then I real but then I got much more into the softer practices Qigong, which is the precursor to Tai Chi, it's from traditional Chinese medicine. It's the same system that acupuncture is based on. You have these meridians of subtle energy that move through the body and any pathology or disease is first and foremost a blockage of Qi in your body. And if you find where the blockage is and release it, then the patho excuse me, the pathology, which is a symptom of that fundamental issue, dissolves itself. And so I had a herniated disc in my neck and, and I did the Empire State Building race, sure, for a few years, but really the Tai Chi and the Qigong allowed me to heal my body from the inside out. I probably still have a herniated disc in my neck, but I don't have any of the pathology or symptoms and I can do all kinds of amazing things with my body that I couldn't back when I was in my early 20s and, you know, felt like I was going to like be a crippled for the rest of my life for, for a brief moment, you know? So... Um, then I met my wife and that's a whole other big story that I'd love to tell some other time. Um, I'll just say real quickly that the first time I saw her, I felt my entire body vibrate. She was a complete stranger and walked into the spa and I just didn't know what to do with that information. You know, she's like, oh my God, 
it was it was intense and and um luckily she felt something too and and she actually wrote me a little note with a poem with her phone number like a total boss and uh and i called her right away and and um and ever since then you know it's been uh now we have uh two kids but um my oldest is emma and when she came along what came into sharp focus for me was that you know your kids they give you the medicine that you need not the medicine that you want whatever your gaps in your game is whatever trauma you think you've healed that you actually haven't fully healed whatever your inconsistencies incongruencies and imperfections they're going to mirror that back to you and and what are you going to do about that right that's the real question are you going to continue the ancestral pattern of you know that inheritance of of trauma and imbalance or are you going to be humble and creative and work with it and laugh at it and play with it and be honest about it and give them this example of how you can work with it right so when emma came along it just became so clear that kids learn by what you do and reflect it back to you and somehow through her little eyes i saw very clearly that um that i had a dream that was really important to me that i had never pursued and that was to compete on american ninja warrior i always loved the show but i always had this other voice that was like again it was that fractured self of like no nah, you don't want to do that. it's not cool man screw tv you know like it's not important you do movement for the purity of it you know again it was that puritan purity spiritual my most spiritual moments often involved movement and nature so you know for me tv was like oh god like that's the opposite of what but again it's interesting cuz whatever's the opposite is part of the thing that it opposes right they define each other by by its very nature so that that's become an interesting piece but basically i got into american ninja warrior because i was like i i, I want to be it was never about being on TV and it was even never about being strong but it was this idea that like if i commit to that something that truly terrifies me and it was a terrifying experience but it's important to me and something inside of me is telling me i'm supposed to do it and i want to lead by example for my daughter and show her that i'm the kind of person that even if i'm scared i will find the courage and put myself out there for my dreams you know because i see a lot of examples of people that aren't living their dream fully that are still in the cocoon of fear and i totally respect that the different people are in different points of their process and 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 there's that's not something to make fun of anyone for you know or to ridicule them but i'm i don't want to be that for my daughter i don't want my daughter to be that so i can't be that so I worked up the courage and I I did the walk online which means I I I submitted a video but you know they get close to 70 80 90,000 submissions audition tapes for 5 or 600 spots. And I didn't get on but I went on the walk online which was basically you show up to the city where they're filming and you wait online. And I had a young child at the time. Emma was like 3 years old. So it was like a big sacrifice for my family, but I felt it so strongly in my heart and it really was more of a spiritual pilgrimage than anything deep into the heart of myself my own fear my identity who i want to be in this world my love of movement and expressing that for other people and and i'll just share that you know my first year season 7 i competed in philadelphia and um i i was in phenomenal shape um and i fell on the third obstacle and and actually like compared to a lot of people that's actually quite good but 
it was amazing because I was demoing the movement patterns, you know, before I got on the course and I, I felt my body and it felt lithe and agile. And, and then the nerves when I got on the course and everything felt tight and my body, it was like this weird thing of like, whose body is this? Like, like it doesn't move the way that I know it to move. And it was all based on my psychology, my psyche and, and the, the nerves. And so then I really got into the spiritual and mental aspect of ninja training. And I realized like, I got to compete. I got to get good at competing. Competing is its own skill. I could be as strong as possible, but if I don't know how to work with those nerves and I, I never did a sport because kind of all through high school and college, I was, I was into recreational drug use, you know? So I wasn't, I lost that connection a little bit and I lost all that time that a lot of athletes have. So, um, so I took a year, I competed like crazy in the national ninja league, which is a league of competitions across the country. And, um, and I still compete in that it's now called world ninja league. And I'm a five time world ninja league finalist. And I'm very proud of that. Um, I actually finished third last year in my, in the master's division for at world ninja league championships in uh, Asheville, hey. North Carolina. But in any event, I started competing in order so that I could perform better on the show and season eight, I did much, much better. I made it to the fifth obstacle on the first night and I finished in the top 30 out of about 150 people. So I, that meant I moved on to the second night. And the second night, I mean, I just, all the worst fears came out on parade, you know? Like, what are you doing? You're going to injure yourself. You don't belong here. You're too old. Like every single demon that I've ever wrestled with came out on full parade. Um, and, and I really had to work with the inner energy and I used my Qigong and my breath work and movement to work through those emotions. And I actually performed amazing. I mean, that's one of the performances that I'm most proud of is I made it to the eighth obstacle out of 10 obstacles. It wasn't enough to qualify for national finals, but um, I'm really, really proud of it. So for me, that's that's been my Ninja Warrior path. And I, I still am on that path. I still compete and I still audition for the show. And I've been on the show to test the obstacles and help them kind of the production crew uh, set up the obstacles and make sure the right difficulty. And it's been a beautiful, amazing part of my life that has brought a lot of amazing people into my world. But it really all started because I wanted to lead by example for my daughter. I knew I had this potential and this passion inside of me. Uh, that was dormant and that would calcify if I didn't express it. So I wanted to uh, follow my dream no matter how scary that was. And my goodness, as much as I'm proud of that physical performance, the things I learned about myself through that process of putting myself out there, um, like a true ninja, I was always much more comfortable hiding and not taking up space, not taking up the spotlight. And, um, and so I kind of talked about how like I was always like, oh, the TV part, but that was part of my trauma of not belonging, of being the black sheep. And like, so for me, even though they never featured me on the TV show, the fact that I was comfortable with cameras and putting myself out there and expressing myself in a way that is very sacred to me, um, that was like a victory for myself to be able to, to put that out there in that way. And, and really is really inspired by my daughter, Emma. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that. And I just, you know, like kind of want to piggyback on that. Just, I, I loved what you said about like our children being like the medicine that we need, not necessarily the medicine that we want. 
And, and yeah. And then just, you know, like it, it sounds like a lot of it was like you said for her, which gave you like a even bigger, like reason, you know, a deeper why and wanting to, you know, like, like you said, kind of like break that generational, you know, curse or whatever you want to call it, the trauma, um, and do something new for her. And it, it's just, it's incredible. And that's awesome. And, yeah, and, you she, know, like, <laughs> sorry, she likes to pretend that, you know, she's, she's a wonderful little human being, you know, but she also like, like a lot of, or maybe most daughters, she really kind of likes to put me in my place, but she does get a <laughs> twinkle in her eye when, when she tells other people that I'm an American Ninja Warrior. That's not, I didn't do it for her to have bragging rights, right? But I did it for a deeper level for both of us, but it's still, I still enjoy that little moment. <laughs> Absolutely. That is so cute. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to honor our time here. So I, I just kind of want to close out with, you know, just any advice that you would have for someone who is struggling with binge drinking or substance abuse. Um, and then I'd love for you to also just share about, you know, your breathe, move, nourish course program. Um, I know you're launching another cohort in at the end of January, hopefully the yeah. spots aren't filled up yet, but, um, I guess even if they are, I know people can probably get in later. So anyways, yeah. What would be your advice? And then definitely share with us about, um, breathe, breathe, move, nourish. Yeah. I think my biggest advice to anyone who's suffering with addiction is to be really honest about your suffering, to really look at it, to really uh, own it, own it in yourself, own it in the reflection you see of the people around you that it's harming. It's not to um, feel bad about it, although of course those feelings will be present, it's just really to be honest and aware. I think that's the first part. And then the second part is to really be honest about in what ways it's fulfilling some of your fundamental needs. And I think through that, to me, awareness is the gateway to all healing. It really is. But it's not like thinking you're aware, right? It's not like doing it with your prefrontal cortex and trying to convince yourself or even imagine it, it's something much deeper, more in your bones and your blood. And it really takes, you know, for some people, they got to live a lie for a while before they're ready to, to live the truth. Um, so my first thought is to really be honest about the suffering that it's creating and honest about the ways that it's supporting you and fulfilling your fundamental needs. And I think if, if you're really honest about that, at a certain point in your process, you will find that inner strength to make a big change and start writing a new chapter. I cannot recommend enough exercise and movement to support that. It's well-documented that movement and exercise um, builds new neurons in the brain in the areas that deal with memory, learning, attention, and addiction you know, compulsive behavior, the reward centers, dopamine, all these things you can, your brain, we used to think it was hardwired, but it's really rewriting, it's, it's rewriting itself constantly. And um, really there's no better tool to rewrite your brain than movement. 
Um, mm. If you're interested in a book for that, there's Spark, The Revolutionary New Science of Exercise in the Brain by uh, John Rady. He's an amazing doctor. And, um, you know, if you really want to dive into that, that's a great way. But, you know, I'm a big fan of subtraction through addition, you know? So you want to subtract the like addiction? Well, okay. You know, obviously I get that. Everyone gets that. But for me, my first thought beyond the awareness piece that I already talked about is um, what can you add that's going to bring more joy to your life and help you fill that hole that you're trying to fill however, you know, imperfectly it works or however destructively it works. You're trying to fill that hole with with substances and it's never going to fill you up. You have to fill up from the inside. And um, yeah, so exercise, you can, you know, of course you want to subtract the addiction, addiction, but if you add exercise and movement and make that the focus, you're again, focusing on that positive. You're building that inner strength. You're, um, you know, you're marshalling your resources in a different way versus always focusing on like, especially with pot addiction, right? It's so cerebral in your head and you can just, machinate and think about it over and over and go back and forth and back and forth, shift some of that energy and some of that focus towards empowering yourself, towards movement, right? So it's something you can add to your life that'll bring joy. So if it's going for walks, if it's walks in nature or hiking, if it's taking a dance class, whatever it is that you brings joy and allows you to move your body and you do that regularly. I mean, I think the recommendation in the book is, you know, at least 20 minutes of activity more on the cardio end of the spectrum that, uh, you know, a seven out of 10 intensity where you're almost out of breath. Very, very good for your, for your, uh, addiction reward centers and opens up the possibility to, to make some real changes. But I do feel strongly that awareness is the foundation. So that's why that's the first, first piece of the advice. Absolutely. That was so good. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for that. of course. And, um, as far as breathe, move, nourish, I've been a personal trainer for 23 years, if you want to call it that, because I'm more of a strength and recovery coach. And sometimes I'm a healer. I, mean, I really wear many hats. Again, that's the dyslexic in me that has like learned many different things to try and zoom out and then integrate them all together. And breathe, move, nourish is my attempt to integrate all those things into a 12-week transformation through movement program. It's really targeted towards mothers, in particular, busy mothers who need very efficient, effective workouts and also need that need support. Mothers are under supported and they need a more holistic support. My emphasis, first and foremost, is always on first and foremost, is always on mental health and helping people feel better because if they feel better and have more energy, then they'll show up regularly to move. And if you show up regularly, well, then you can kind of achieve almost any goal that you can conceive of, whatever it is. But all of them require that you consistently show up and move your body. So my focus is really on that. Um, yeah, and the really Breathe, Move, Nourish is designed to help busy mothers boost energy and tone up so they can reclaim their body and their life. It's very simple. I love supporting mothers. I spent a lot of my in-person time supporting mothers. And we have a new cohort, like you mentioned, that's starting January 30th. It's not full yet, um, though it's January. So I have no doubt it will fill up. And um, anyone that's interested in that could um, reach out. Probably the easiest is Instagram at 
purestrength.nyc and just shoot me a DM at purestrength.nyc on Instagram. And um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way if you're interested in that. Um, and you can speak to this too, because you're in the program, but a lot of the exercises we do have more to do with breathing and feeling your body rolling around on the ground, things that are really grossly missing in the fitness industry. But evolution knows that every baby has to do it, roll around and map their body and and learn how to connect all the various parts. But then as adults, we get disconnected. And so uh, the primal movement and the breath work are something that make the program very unique and different than really anything else out there. So I'm, I'm very proud of it. It's been awesome for me. I, I think we're on week seven. Um, and yeah, just, you know, like the breathing, um, you know, component has definitely helped me like reduce stress. It's helped me like lose weight, you know, like I've just, you know, I'll look in the mirror and notice my stomach doesn't look like as bloated as it used to. Like I, I, you know, was using less energy drinks. Um, I, I'm trying to think, yeah, just like, just from I breathing remember. more deeply, like that was a yeah. big thing. Cause I was drinking energy drinks a lot. And so I just started feeling more energized, uh, just started feeling more, con feeling more connected to my own body. and just, you know, like we kind of created this vision together about like what I wanted, which was like to just be able to chase Malachi and not feel slow and be able to, you know, like just not be so focused on, you know, like flab and things like that and just feeling really good. And, and I felt really great. And so I, I mean, I'd recommend anyone to join. Um, it's been amazing for me and you're an amazing coach and you really care about you know the people you work with so and and that's that's definitely probably what drew me in was knowing that you actually cared um and you know people I've heard that saying where it's like people don't care what you do they you know they want to know that you care yeah <laughs> you know? nobody cares what you know until they know how much you care yes thank you yes. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast and maybe we'll do this again someday. Um, but thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure. You're very welcome. And I'm super proud of your progress in the program. You're, <laughs> you're a bright light and it's a privilege to uplift you. Thank you so much. And I'll definitely be sure to you know link all your information in the show notes so everyone can find you. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> thank you.